To share or not to share, that is the question. Welcome to the Real Talk Recovery Podcast with the Therapy Brothers. We're brothers, we're therapists, and we know recovery. Bring your stories, your questions, your successes with Real Recovery. Tyler, your wandering therapist here. I am again going solo today. Brandon is still out of town, enjoying time with his family and some of that summertime stuff that goes on. So again, you're stuck with me today, but I think we're going to have a really good conversation. We've got a really good caller coming on. Uh, Before I introduce him, I just want to remind everybody, all of our listeners here of the upcoming Rising Sun Retreat in Bear Lake, Utah, September 22nd through the 25th. It is, I think Brandon and I would both agree on this. It's about the favorite thing that we do in all of what we do. We love podcasting. We love our therapy. I love my groups. But if I could do nothing but retreats, I would I would do that because they've been so impactful in the lives of those who attend. So if you're interested, risingsun.org, risingsun.org. By the time this episode comes out, there's probably going to be just a few spots left. So Go check it out if it sounds like something that would be helpful for you in your personal recovery. Um, all right, let's jump into it today. Uh, Sam is calling in. Sam, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, Joy, why don't you just kind of give whatever background you feel comfortable giving and ask your question? Yeah, um, so just by way of background, I... Um, I have been, I guess I consider myself to have been in recovery for uh, about three, three and a half years um, since early 2019. Um, I'm 41 years old. I, uh, I've, I sort of battled uh, addiction for a lot of those years. Um, probably similar story to many that you've heard before. I, you know, have very early memories um, as a child of sort of viewing pornography pretty innocently. Um, you know, when I look back on it now, it's pretty innocent, but I, you know, as of those earliest days, just all I really remember was just a very strong draw to it. And, uh, I think maybe the fact that it was a little bit of the forbidden fruit, maybe grew me in a little bit more, um, than, than it otherwise would have. Um, so that, you know, kind of started at an early age. And I, I think that it was just the classic, like I learned to cope with difficulty, difficult emotions. I, I, I'm not going to say that I had a real troubled childhood, but like anybody I had, I had baggage and I had things that were hard for me and I had relationships that were difficult. And I think it just became a, an outlet for me and a place to go to, to feel good and get relief and just, you know, maybe have control and all of these things that maybe I didn't have in other areas of my life. So started young. Um, I, you know, again, like many people that I have heard, um, with similar backgrounds, I, I got married, um, and I've been married for about 17 years now. And, um, when I went into, uh, when I, when I got married, I, I just thought, you know, I've been having this problem for so long. Uh, and I just thought, well, that would be the solution and it would, it would go away and it would just fix itself. And, pretty early on in, in my marriage, I realized that that wasn't the case. And I was, um, still struggling. And, and at that time it was sort of 
the internet was taking off and internet pornography was really everywhere. And I just found it very, very difficult to, to stay away from. So that was, um, that became, you know, sort of a pattern in my marriage and my wife, um, fairly early on, maybe a year and a half or so into marriage or two years into marriage, she, um, she discovered it and, it was not something that I had been transparent or honest with her about. So I was discovered and that led to just a lot of, you know, pain for both of us. I think she was definitely blindsided. And, um, and for me, it was just something I was very uncomfortable with and had a lot of shame about. And, but I found myself having to be open about it. So at that time, uh, we were living away from where we both kind of had grown up and we, um, I was in graduate school and, had a lot of things going on, but I just, I, my mindset at that time was just, I'm just going to fix this as quick as I can and get back on the road so that I never have to like address it or talk about it again. It was just so painful that I just wanted to move on. So I, I, in good faith, like I really was coming from a good place. I just thought, you know, I'm going to just get this behind me. I'm going to try harder. I'm not going to do this again. I'm never going to let it happen. And so I, I really buckled down and I tried and, but I just kind of sunk back into this pattern of like, I did well for a couple of months and then I'd slip and I'd have a relapse and just on and on. And that story just continued for years and years in our marriage. And it was, you know, we've got five kids today. We, um, uh, it, it was just a constant struggle. It was a constant elephant in the room. It was sort of like when I was, you know, struggling in other areas or I was grumpy or moody or whatever else. It was like always this elephant in the room, like something must be going on. And it was just something that I was never honest about. I didn't feel comfortable telling my wife, even though I knew she knew that I had had a struggle with this in the past. It was just so embarrassing and shameful to me that I just could never really tell her. Anyway, getting to the end of the story here, I'm being long-winded, but sort of as the years progressed and developed, it progressed and developed as well in terms of um, just maybe fantasy and other things that kind of went along with it. And so I started to travel a lot for work um, back in 2016. And um, around that time, that's when it escalated to involve other acting out with, with other people and sort of crossed the lines of just being a pornography um, addiction to actual infidelity in my marriage. And that that lasted for about a two-year period of just regular acting out. It was something that like the first time it happened, I shouldn't say it happened the first time I did it. Um, I was, I was so shocked in a way. And I just thought how, you know, I'll never do that again. How did that happen? And then within the period of a couple of weeks, I had done it again. And then it just kind of fell into this pattern that went on for about two years. Anyway, getting to my question, sort of, this is where um, the, the the question comes from. I remember about two years into that, I was uh, probably about a year and a half into that. I was on a work trip and uh, I was, and this gives you a little bit of an insight into kind of my mindset at that time. Like I was, it was like a one night trip somewhere and I was like looking for some podcast or something that I could listen to that would be uplifting. And I think my, my thought was that that was like indicative of my constant struggle, like help me to be good. I want to be good. But then I'm like, doing all these things that I know are bad. And it was this constant like duality of just my, what I, what I was doing and the conflict I had inside. So I, um, I, I found this podcast and at that time I'd been acting out, you know, and being unfaithful for a year and a half in this way when I was traveling a lot. And 
I, I came across a podcast and I listened to it and it was somebody talking that almost had like my identical story. And it was someone that was about my age. They were of the same sort of religious background. You know, I grew up in a pretty um, rigid sort of uh, religious structure, conservative. And it was just like somebody was telling my story exactly. And, and the result of their story was they got honest and they came out and, you know, kind of came clean on what they'd been doing to their wife and to, uh, you know, church leaders and, and sort of faced the consequences of that. And it was for the first time I could sort of see myself like becoming honest and making these changes and coming out of this darkness that really was my life at that time. So um, I, as I look back on it now, like that became a real turning point for me. I didn't like go home and make the changes that day, but it did cause me shortly thereafter to go and see a therapist and actually get on the road to like trying to make changes. And then a few months later, telling my wife and doing a full disclosure and getting on the road to recovery. And I just, I view that experience of somebody who was willing to share their story very publicly. This is a person who now has a podcast, um, is a therapist, does a lot of work and shares their story very widely. And I know that it was it was very helpful to me. Um, and so I have struggled with this question of like, what is my responsibility or opportunity to share with others who are in the same place that I was? Because I know that they're out there, people that are struggling, who are caught in the same addiction and just for whatever reason, maybe don't see the path forward or are not finding a way out of it. So I guess we can start there, but that that's, uh, that's okay. what I want to maybe get your thoughts on. Yeah. Great, Sam. Um, thanks for painting that picture. I think you do kind of paint a pretty classic picture of how this works for a lot of people. And so I appreciate you sharing that. And it sounds like you've been on quite a road yourself and I'm impressed with where you're currently at. If you don't mind me just kind of asking, you said really, if I, if I heard you right, You've been in your marriage for 17 years, about a year and a half in, it kind of got discovered. And then for that since then, so about 15, 14 years of your marriage, it, it was kind of, or I guess 12 years of your marriage, it was kind of kept secret before it finally all really came to light. Is that right? Well, yeah. So when that first initial discovery happened, like a year and a half into our marriage, it was, you know, my wife saw some things on the internet that I was looking at. And then beyond from that time, until I disclosed um, all of the acting out in, I guess that was early 2019, there was a regular kind of steady diet of, you know, pornography. And um, it was, it was something that like, I typically didn't go to her proactively, but occasionally she would bring it up and say, you know, gotcha. have you been watching pornography? And I would, I would deny it. It was like a pattern. It was a complete pattern. I would deny it but I could never really deny it for long. And I would, I would come clean eventually, but it was just that, that pattern. Yeah. But okay. on that two year period where I was acting out and um, you know, with other people, it was not a, I did not at any point tell her any of that and what was going on. Cause it was just to the next level. And I just couldn't even imagine doing sure. it. And, and by the way, I'm at the time, just for further background, I was, you know, serving in a position of leadership in my church and doing all of these other things that in hindsight, as, as bad as this sounds, I think helped me because they created so much conflict in my own being that I think that was part of what just pushed me to say, 
I can't keep living this double life. I cannot do this anymore. And even if this breaks me and if my, I lose my marriage and I lose my kid, like I cannot go on this way. You kind of, it kind of came to that point of incongruence in your life where it finally was too heavy to carry. And it was going to be better to deal with the consequences of being honest than it was to stay in the same pattern. Well, I hoped it was. And, and <laughs> in hindsight, in hindsight, it was. And, and, you know, I'm fortunate that some of the the worst consequences that I feared didn't really come, come out, but you know, you never, you never know going in. Sure. I sort of saw the worst case scenario and it was very scary, but it just, yeah, it was too, it was too much. Sure. But that's, but that's a key here. And I think this is a key principle for those of our, our listeners listening is, is that you brought yourself to a place where you knew there was a possibility that worst case scenario could happen and it was still worth starting to live those principles. You mentioned multiple times in, in the way you were introducing yourself, you mentioned the phrase, get honest, come out, come clean. And, and since then, so you heard this original podcast that you had heard that was three years ago or so. Um, where's your recovery at right now in comparison to the whole big picture you just painted of the last 15 years before that? Yeah. So I don't, I don't know that really anywhere in the prior 15 years, I, I would really call what I was doing recovery just because I, I think I was just trying to fix myself and I don't, I don't view recovery that way anymore. Um, I, my recovery now, you know, obviously I, it sort of started by giving my wife a full disclosure and and what that looked like was I initially she initially asked me some things and I was I was meeting with a therapist I'd been meeting weekly with a therapist for a couple of weeks and working up to like this full disclosure and I knew it was such a bomb I was going to be dropping that I was trying to do it in a way that was you know just was thought out and and that you know would minimize the impact if if you if there is such a thing and so but she started asking some questions and i i initially told her what was going on and then did a full disclosure a couple of weeks after that and so that's what it that's what it looked like and since that time that was in january of 2019 i consider myself to be on an actual real recovery path and I I think, you know, by the grace of God, I initially was just so shell-shocked by the mess I had created and and the wreckage of my past and what I had done that you know, for some period of time like it was just I was in almost in constant kind of shock and trauma, I think for probably, probably honestly for about a year, like it just, it just felt like it was, it went in waves and it wasn't like constant, but it felt pretty constant. Um, and then since that time, it's been a, a little bit more of a return to normal life, but it doesn't feel like the same life. And, and I'm thankful for that. And I've done a com, you know, variety of things from individual therapy to, uh, recovery meetings to one of the biggest and most helpful things I've done is just creating a, uh, a network of people that I, you know, are brothers that are in recovery that I reach out to regularly. And when I, you know, feel like I need that, or even when I don't feel like I need that, I, you know, I check in with them and it's, it's just a combination of those factors, but much, I'm in a, a much better place. I don't want to say like, I don't believe, I guess I'm still a little bit in, in the world of like trying to figure out what I, what I believe about addiction and what it really is. And I, I know that I have been a very compulsive person and I, I believe I identify with the word addict in terms of like 
my lack of power and, and my powerlessness over this. Um, and so I think there's a part of me that feels like this is just a battle I will fight for the rest of my life. But I also very much believe in progress and, and in moving forward and trying to, you know, become a better person. And part of that is, you know, hopefully over time getting more strength to, to deal with, I guess, you know, the, the, the compulsion part of this. And I've seen that and I, and I definitely do see that. And I hope to continue to see that going forward. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Sam, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but not only what you're saying, how you're saying it, you can, you can often hear and even sometimes even more so feel when, when a guy is actually authentically working his recovery. And, and I don't know if you can put this into words or not. This is a little side note, and then I'll come back to your question for a second, but can you, can you put into words the difference in the way you feel in the last, you know, two years versus the 14 years before that, even though you're accepting this might be something you struggle with for a while, is there, what's the difference in the feeling? Yeah, I, I, I definitely do. I think the biggest differences are like right now today, I, I view, like if you had asked me initially, like a year and a half into my marriage, when I got caught, when I thought about recovery, 100% in my, I probably didn't know the word, but I, 100% in my mind, it was about sobriety. And it was about, are you sober? Are you avoiding pornography? Like that, that was it. Like that was all that I knew. Today, it's, it's much more like nuanced around, like, one of the best things about recovery that I have learned is that this is not recovery, just from sexual addiction, which is what I have suffered with for a long time. This is this is learning a better way to like be a human being and to deal with difficult emotions and to deal with like, I'm a father of five kids and I feel a weight of responsibility to try to, you know, create a good life for my kids and to be a good example to my kids. And that that's a, that's a burden that I carry, you know, happily, but like my recovery helps me in that facet of my life. So I just, I think it's, you know, just less black and white. It's more about um, and, and it certainly translates to how I feel like my relationship is with God. I, I'm one of the fortunate ones that even in the depths of my addiction and acting out, I feel that God was there and I feel that he loved me. And I never, I never really struggled with the feelings of like, God doesn't love me. I I felt that he was disappointed in me and I felt that I was letting him down constantly, but he, he has been there every step of the way for me. And I feel that relationship has strengthened just because I think he's, I think he sees the efforts I make in recovery to, you know, to, to, to try to be the best person that I can. Yeah. That's beautiful, Sam. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so, so now that you've pretty much already told your story, let's come back to your original question, which was when, when and how, and why would I, or not share my story of this recovery process and journey that I've been on? And, and is it a responsibility of mine to do so? Um, I'm sure you've been wrestling with this for quite some time. And when you look at it from a pros and cons perspective, what are the, what are the benefits you see to saying, yes, I want to share my story and, and who and how and why I might do that. And what are the negatives to that for you? Well, yeah. So uh, the, the reason it's just so tricky for me is um, that there are there are in my mind very clear benefits and very clear costs. And again, a little. So I, the, the person that I mentioned on that podcast that I listened to, I didn't know him from anybody else on the street. 
I have since become close with him. He's, he's a good friend and someone that I, you know, respect and, 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 tr- and trust and someone that I have a relationship with. Um, I like, you know, his comment to me, cause I've asked him this question, we've sort of talked through this and, and, you know, his thought is first of all, everything that you think will happen when you are open about this, those things will not happen. It will be different. And I think that's true. And I can, I can see that, but, you know, I remember very clearly like early on when I came home from this work trip and told my wife, I had told her over the phone initially because she had asked me some questions. I told her what was going on. So she now knew the extent of what I had been doing for the last two years. I told her I came home and I think it was probably, I, I went and spoke with my church clergy leader uh, that same night. And so I had had those two really, really difficult conversations. And it was probably like within the next day or two or something. And I was walking my kids to school, like one of my younger kids, and we live like two blocks away from the school. And I, I'll never forget like how I felt walking in my neighborhood, thinking everyone that I know and associate with here that viewed me a certain way. And I, you know, think I had a good reputation. I had a lot of friends and, you know, we were very social and I was, you know, someone that was just, you know, I had a lot of friends and life was great. And I, and I just had this feeling of like, everyone will know who I really am. Everyone will know. And my life will never be the same. And the reality is, um, you know, I, I was, I was, uh, excommunicated from the church and I had like severe consequences that way. But to this day, I think there are very few people who actually know what happened. And so that didn't, that didn't play out that way, but I'm going off on a tangent here, Tyler, the, in, in my mind, the hardest thing about this question is I feel a desire to share from a place of like the people that I have shared this with in every single case with maybe I should say maybe one or two exceptions. I feel like it has strengthened my relationship and gotten me past kind of surface level interactions or relationships with people to an actual depth that is meaningful to me and that I crave. And so there's that aspect and that payoff of it, that there is a depth. And then I view the other side of that as I think it can help other people. A lot of the people that I've shared this with don't struggle with these same things, but I know they have their own issues. And in some cases that has led to meaningful discussions about things that they struggle with. And I feel like there's just a mutual benefit there that we both get. And, and I, I guess I crave that. I want that. And the, and the cost, or maybe the, 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 the negative aspect of it is I've got five young kids. I, I want to protect them. I don't want, you know, I don't want them to feel, um, you know, like, like they, they have to carry this burden. I've got a wife who has, stayed with me through this incredible challenge and she has been unbelievable and has, has dealt with so much and I don't want to cause her further embarrassment, shame, trauma, any of that, but that's where I'm coming from. But when I, when I imagine a life where I can't share this or I don't share this, Tyler, I think for me, it feeds a little bit of the internal shame that I've worked really hard to try to combat. And I'm not, I'm not somebody who's going to stand here and say, I don't have any shame anymore because I do and I I struggle with it. But part of it is when I feel like I have to keep myself, you know, when when I can't walk into any room and just say, hey, 
this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is where I've been. And I'm a, I'm an authentic person. Like that just really, it kind of chafes for me. And I don't, I don't feel it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. Okay. So, and I think the reason it probably doesn't feel good is because there is that something inside of you. Shame, shame thrives in secrecy and isolation. And when you're able to speak your shame, especially in the right places to the right people, it actually kills that shame. And I think that's, that's an ongoing process. In fact, something just happened yesterday and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but, um, P it's pretty, pretty common knowledge now that I'm pretty public. I've got my own vulnerable story posted on YouTube. It's on my website. Like I mention it here on the podcast all the time, my own recovery process. And, uh, and yet my oldest daughter is like dating someone right now and, and they really like each other. And it's the type of thing that might end up with her eventually being married to this kid, you know, and, <laughs> and they were talking the other day about how, all of his aunts and uncles have like Facebook stalked my daughter and like trying to figure out who they are. And they've Facebook stalked my wife. And I just said, geez, babe, I, I might scare them off if they actually find my vulnerable story. And, uh, <laughs> and, and my, my wife said, my wife said, yeah, but that's who we are. So they better, they better come to know it. Cause it's not, we'd be lying otherwise. Right. And, right. um, and so, yeah, there's, there's that risk. I still have that. I've been doing this for a long, long time. And there's still always that little tinge of, you know, wow, I wonder, I wonder how this is going to go with people. Um, so I think that that's normal. Um, can I ask you like your wife, when you, when you bring this topic up with your wife, what, what kind of a response does she give you? Yeah. I mean, it, it's evolved a little bit. So I think, um, early on, I think for sure she, and understandably she was very hesitant to think of anybody really knowing about it. And there have been a lot of, a lot of painful moments along the way where I have maybe shared this with people without her consent before. And then she, and without really thinking about how it would impact her. And these are people that, you know, she has a relationship with too. And, and that was a learning experience for both of us, where I think on my part, I kind of felt like, well, I mean, I, at, at least I own my story. I should, I should be able to kind of like where I feel appropriate, talk to people and confide. And, 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 and yet I don't think I was very sensitive to how that impacted her. Um, and, and so that's, that's been hard. I mean, that, that has been some of the hardest moments in our recovery. And that's what I would call it is our recovery. Cause she's in recovery as well. Like that, that has been, th those have been some of the most difficult moments seeing how that has hurt her. Um, I think now, you know, a little further on, I think she, I think she, first of all, I think she has done a phenomenal job of dealing with her trauma and everything that she's been up against. And I think that she would do a phenomenal job as a therapist. And I think there's part of her that would like to kind of be in this world of, you know, helping people with their recovery. And I think she sees that. So I think she's more understanding and open about it now, but I don't, I don't think she's at a point where she would feel really excited about like being truly public with this, you know? So I don't know. I think she's somewhere in between, you know, she's certainly 100% wants to support me in my recovery. And I think she would do anything possible, even if it means, you know, pain to her to be able to help me combat my shame. She just, that that's just the kind of person that she is, but um, it's hard. And I don't think she would, I don't think she would like, for me, I'm at a point now where like the embarrassment of it, like 
I don't feel a lot of embarrassment. I could go stand in front of a room and say, this is, this is what I did. And this is who I was. And I know that I'm not that person anymore. And I know that it's, it's, it's really bad and it's disgusting and all these things, but like, I don't identify with it anymore. And I don't feel like that would be really hard for me. Um, so I guess that's, I guess that's where, where she's at and where I'm at. Okay, cool. Well, tell her to get her degree done and call me up. We're always looking for good therapists. So, um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but so, but if I'm, if I'm hearing you right though, she's, she's maybe not quite ready to be like fully public with things. She's obviously, she knows you you're on the show right now talking and she's okay with that under the kind of current circumstance of, you know, not full disclosure. We're kind of keeping your identity protected, but you're able to still share your story. She's okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Would she be okay with it on a smaller scale with like individual people that you interact with day to day? And you say, you know what, I, I feel kind of prompted to share this part of my story with them for help, or would that be still a stretch for her? No, I think she, I think she would. And I, you know, she has, I've, I've shared this with most of my close personal friends. I mean, I, I've, there are a lot of people that know about this and most of the people that know about it are people that I've told or she's told a few and like, yeah, we, we, you know, that like our closer friends, it, it sort of feels like there's just almost a necessary, a need to, to be authentic. Otherwise you're just always hiding this big secret. And it just feels like it does, it wears on the relationship and we've both discovered that. So yeah, both, both of us together have taken steps to try to live in authenticity with those relationships. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So so what I love and what I'm hearing you say is, is that your heart is really leaning more and more towards being a little bit more open with your story, maybe even more public with your story, but you're also wanting to be sensitive to the needs of your wife and your kids. And the fact that you're even <clears throat> making sure that that's a part of the equation, I think is an indicator of kind of where you're at and in your own recovery work. So I think it's awesome. I hope you're having those discussions with her and and there's this middle ground point where there might be some little of, bit of friction between how public you want to be and how ready she is. And that's where, that's where it sounds like your navigation is really going to take place. Um, but by and large, it sounds like you're going about things a lot in the right way. Uh, well, not, not only that, Tyler, I would just say one other thing is like, I don't know that I'm at a point where I would say, I really want to share this publicly. Like I have, like, the thing that the thing that pulls me and draws me is that I, I know there is a, like, you know, if you look at Alcoholics Anonymous or any of these programs, like there is a well-worn path of like, once you sort of find the light, you help others. And, and that, that resonates with like everything about me. And I feel like I, I want that. And I, and I feel like I want to be able to provide that obviously like, you can do that in a one-off, like, Hey, if anyone ever comes and asks me about it, I'll tell them that's a very reactive passive, like probably I'm not going to have much of an impact sort of a way of doing it. And that might be the appropriate path or there's, Hey, I'm going to go, you know, shout it from the mountaintops and I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And that's going to cast a really wide net and get to a lot of people. And maybe I have a lot of impact, but maybe there's a cost to me. And then there's just a whole swath of like in between. And I don't frankly even know part of what part of what, um, so, so the person who I mentioned that was on the podcast that I initially listened to who runs his own podcast, he has on multiple occasions asked me to come on his show and, you know, with my wife and, and, and that felt like very public and 
well, and here I am on another podcast, but like, it just like, that was like an initial step where I was like, well, could I, could I actually do this? And then, and then there was another element of like, when I came back to, so I, I was um, excommunicated from the church and then I came back into fellowship with the church a couple of years later. And there's an, an element there of like, you know, this is a big problem in, uh, in our community sort of within the church. And, and there's an element of like, could I be very helpful to a lot of these other men that I know that probably struggle in silence with this? And if they knew that, that I've struggled with this and I'm, I'm in recovery, like maybe that would help them because they know me personally. And like that, there's just all of these kind of areas where I think I, I don't, so I don't know what it would look like. And I'm not, I'm not again at a point where I say, Hey, I want to just go shout up from the rooftops, but I feel like I do. There, there's just a part of me that wants to, I think my recovery would benefit from being more public. It would help me combat the shame and it would ultimately help other people. And that just feels like a lot of positivity. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, in a way we, I just, we mentioned this earlier, but to the tune of several thousand people, you are having an impact for good right now, just by being on the show and you haven't necessarily had to give up your, your, you know, anonymity, in order to still have an impact for good in the lives of other people. And so there's a lot of ways to go about it. Um, but I think the principle you're getting at is actually really kind of a true principle. And this is something that I teach my clients from the very beginning, you know, cause most of us, these, these things in our lives that we're, we feel vulnerable to share. There's a reason we feel vulnerable is because there's number one, potential real risk and number two, shames attached to it. And I try to get people starting to think differently that you no longer have a secret you have a story and, and stories are in many ways, the most powerful ways that we get to communicate with other people and affect change in other people. I mean, think about, think about what a really good story does when you hear it or a really great movie that has an awesome storyline. When you watch it, it does something to you on a, on an emotional sort of cellular level that just sitting and talking about a principle otherwise, you know, can't do. And so I think you're tapping into that principle and, you know, I, another story, uh, when I, when I was running my practice, I was probably two or three years into running my practice. And one day my wife asked me, Hey, how'd your groups go tonight or whatever? And I said, Oh, they were good. You know, this, that, and the other. And she said, she said, Hey, Tyler, do you, do you ever tell your clients that you're in recovery? And at that point I was like, no way. Like I've never told any of my clients that I'm in my own recovery. And she mm-hmm. sat there for a minute and I, and I thought I was like protecting her and protecting us and, you know, doing the right things. And she said, why not? Like you should tell them. And I was like, really? Like, why do you think that? And she said, because that's, that's really the, the best thing you have to offer them. You know, <laughs> She's like, mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, you're a decent therapist, but really your experience is going to be more valuable than anything else you learn in school. And so I thought, well, I chewed on it for a couple of days. And I went, the very first group I had after that was a women's group, uh, women's betrayal trauma group. And I just kind of said, all right, guys, group's going to be a little bit different today. I'm going to tell you my story. And I told them my story. There's probably 10, 11 women in that group. And afterwards, I had the biggest vulnerability hangover you could imagine. I, I got in the car to go home and I, and when I turned on the car, my hands were shaking and I just started crying and I called mm-hmm. my wife and I said, Hey, Rihanna. And I told my story to the, to this group 
And she said, Oh, that's awesome. I'm so proud of you. Like, how'd it go? And I said, I think I probably just ruined my career. Like, I don't think there's gonna be anybody back <laughs> next week. And, um, and she kind of like talked me off the ledge and I came back the next week to group and I, they were all there. All the women were still there. And there were two women that were just furious with me. They had felt like betrayed like in some ways, like I triggered that idea of like, maybe not being authentic and, and I, I could get that. And I understood that that's what I was afraid of. And then there were the other nine were like, that's the best group we've ever had. Like, Oh, I trust you so much more. Wow. There's hope because if you can be in recovery, that means my husband might be able to find recovery. And like, it was just the exact opposite responses to what I had anticipated. And, and what I've found over the course of all the years of doing this now is, is the more that I find the right places to share, there's always the fear. And there's always, there's always an impact for good when it's done with the right heart and in the right place in the right way. And you're getting that. I, I hear it in you. I hear that, you know, your story, if, if you've been through the hell that you've been through and you don't find a way to share the treasure that you found as a result of going through that hell, it's like that scripture that says, neither do men like light a candle and put it under a bushel. It's like, get out from underneath the bushel. You've been through the hell. You paid the price. Like go let the light shine because that's mm -hmm. exactly what it becomes is it goes from coal to a diamond and it reflects light. And I think you're starting to tap into that realization that that's the truth and that, that you now are sitting on a mound of treasure that looked really horrible a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So, so the next question then is, is like, okay, how, on what level do I share? Well, you're doing it now. You do it with a friend one-on-one. -on -one. You can do it in lots and lots of different ways. In in some ways, just the way that you're choosing to live your life differently now, even without anybody knowing the details, is still some level of sharing your story. Mm. And, and if you can see that, that the principles that you're living, you can talk principles all day now and never have to tell your story. But you can talk those principles with conviction because you're living them now. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that's one of the things that I've maybe, maybe learned a little bit too, is like in, in the, in the beginning, when I did share this, like with, with people or whatever, like I almost, I, I definitely looking back, I feel like I just overshared and I'm almost embarrassed about it now because I'm like, they didn't need to know that. Like, I don't, I mean, I, I, like why do they, I mean, all I needed to tell them was just very, very broad strokes of the struggle and I, and I think that's true. I mean, like there, that, and that makes me feel a bit more comfortable just knowing that like, Hey, nobody needs to really know the details or understand. Like I've told you my story today in, in, in a, in an overview fashion where I think you get the sense of where I've been and what I've done. And, and that doesn't need to be the focus, nor would I ever care for it to be, but I just, you know, and, and then it, and then it really is the focus is on kind of the healing and the power of, of sort of that process. And, and that's what I'm after. So yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, and I think there's going to come a time where you, you've, once you get more and more connected to your heart and mind, as you get deeper into your recovery, you know, it's like, I believe that God tells us things in our hearts and our minds. And when those two things overlap, then we follow through on what the promptings are that come to us. And so there's going to be moments and there already have been, it sounds like where, 
you're going to have your heart and your mind line up in a scenario, whether that's in a group or with a single person. And you're going to say, you know what, I need to share a little bit more, or I need to share this part of my story, or I need to share this concept that, that I can only share if they know this detail about my life. And, and in those moments, you're going to follow what's right for you because it'll be congruent because your mind and your heart are connected because of the recovery work you're doing. And, and so it'll probably happen a little bit at a time, but my experience is, is that the, once you, once you learn the goodness of not staying secret and not staying in hiding, it sometimes is hard to put a lid back on it. You know, yeah, so yeah. I've been accused of over-disclosing plenty of times in my life and it's probably true. I do that sometimes. Um, but, yeah. but I'd rather err on that side of it now than on the other side, because I know what it meant to keep secrets and I can't afford to do that anymore. Yeah. Well, and, and one other thing that I, I think about sometimes is there's, I think maybe just a feeling sometimes that like, well, why am I sharing if I don't have it like totally figured out? Right. And I, you know, so I remember, um, I've been listening to your podcast pretty religiously now for, for a long time. And, and, um, you had a guest on a little while ago and, and, um, at the end of the, (laughs) at the end of the discussion, I mean, I think there was just a very skeptical tone on behalf of the caller, almost like, well, I hope you've got it figured out if you're sharing this with people. And and you gave an answer that like, it, it, it really resonated with me, which was like, well, that's not like, for me, that's not really the, I, I don't, I don't need to have arrived to be helping other people on this journey. But I think for me, sometimes there is a little bit of like, well, you know, when I have a, when I have a really difficult day with my wife, which still happens and, and it, and, and when it happens, honestly, sometimes it feels like we're right back at the beginning and it feels just as traumatic and just as difficult and just as end of the road as it ever did. But then we come through it, but sometimes that makes me feel like, well, geez, who am I to share anything with anybody, you know, but I, I feel like that's just maybe part of the shame narrative that I have to continue to combat and, and, uh, and work through. So. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. Like if you, if you really boil it down though, and look at the way we view recovery is, is that this is the beauty of it. Sam is like, I'm in the same boat. You are, we're both living a life that we'll never reach perfection in that we get to grow into until we die. And if I have to wait until I'm perfect before I can help somebody like then nobody's ever going to be able to help anybody. And so I'm looking up to people. I've got people looking up to me and it's, it's the way it's supposed to be. In fact, I was going to share this quote with you. And I know that some of you have heard this before, but it comes from a, a leader of our church, the church that I'm a part of um, named Neil A. Maxwell. And it says, your lives, your friendships, your marriages, your families, your neighbors and coworkers currently constitute the sample of humanity, which God has given you. We are each other's clinical material and we make a mistake when we disregard that sober fact. No wonder we feel stress at times. You're my clinical material, Sam. You're making me a better person just by interacting with me today. I'm your clinical material. Your wife is your clinical material. Like the, you're the friends that you have, you're their clinical material. Like if you rob them of the opportunity to do their work by being able to know you and help you, you're preventing their progress the same way that if they stay on the outside from you and don't allow you into their space, they're depriving you of learning and growth. And I, I feel so strongly about that, that that's, 
that's what this life is all about. None of us have to be perfect in order to be each other's clinical material. In fact, we can't be. It's better if we're not. Yeah, that's powerful. So, Sam, we're getting pretty close on time. Any other last thoughts or feelings or questions today? No, this is this has been helpful. I uh, I appreciate uh, you taking my question and allowing me to come on, and and I, I really appreciate the work you do. I, I mentioned at the beginning here, Tyler. You uh, one of the one of the early. There there have been so many people that have contributed to my recovery, and I'm I'm thankful that we have the technology of podcasts and people that share and everything else. And one of the early things that that helped me a lot was your talk at UCAP at one of the conferences and. I remember the, the one thing that really stuck out about that at the very end of your talk, I think you, 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 you said something, I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but you said something to, to the effect of, you know, if your daughter was dating somebody who had struggled uh, with, with addiction, but was in recovery, you'd be so excited for them to marry that person. And that, that really hit home for me of, of, as a way of saying, you know, early, early on, I had all these questions about like, can I actually be the person that maybe I could have been if I didn't have this. And there was all these like limiting factors in my mind of like, can I get to this place? Can I get to that place? But like, I just appreciate, I just appreciate the work you do and Brandon as well. And, and, and that you're really affecting change and helping people and appreciate you having me on today. Yeah. Well, you, you're welcome, Sam. And I, I will just go on and I'll reiterate that, that I didn't say I have a daughter. I have four daughters and every one of my daughters is welcome and encouraged to marry a man in solid recovery, a man who works and sounds like you, Sam, because I hope our listeners can hear this today. There's a man who has a heart with the desire to be a good husband and a good father and to be sensitive to the cares and needs of his wife and children. There's a man who wants to have a congruent life where he lives in line with what he believes. And he's striving hard to do that. And there's a man who is humble enough to accept his weaknesses and go to work on those things. And a man who's willing to share his story with other people for the benefit of others. And a man who's willing to take accountability for his choices in his life. Like who doesn't want to be married to that guy? And and that's what a guy in recovery is. And that's, that's the way that you've showed up here today, Sam. So I want to say thank you to you. I tell my wife this all the time that I'm the luckiest man in the world because I get to witness real hearts change on a daily basis. And I get to witness the miracle of true transformation and, and you're no exception. So thank you, Sam. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Tyler. Um, for those of you guys listening, uh, if you want to hear what recovery sounds like, go back and listen to this episode again. And um, if it was impactful for you, please reach out, send us a review throw a shout out to Sam, share this with someone who it might impact for good. And, uh, and you guys keep doing the hard work that's worth doing because a life in recovery is a life worth living. And uh, you guys have an awesome week. 